Welcome to the Wealth with Purpose podcast, where people come to learn what the Bible says about money, wealth and business. Be inspired by some of the greatest Christian thinkers and commentators from around the planet. Enjoy this episode with your host, Alex Cook. The Thursday edition of 2020 and a conversation over this next hour. Perhaps a very important one if you're really feeling the pinch right now. You might be one of those asking how the Reserve Bank of Australia in trying to save our national economy might be crippling our own family finances. Well, it certainly looks heartless of the Reserve Bank to raise interest rates again this week, saying it's too costly to reduce later involving even higher interest rates and a larger rise in unemployment. Well, interest rates are up again as mortgage stress intensifies for a growing number of households. We're turning our attention today to understanding what for many is a time of financial crisis, either for you or for perhaps someone in your family. We're back today with Vision Finance commentator Alex Cook, the founder of Wealth With Purpose. Alex is a former stockbroker, he's been a successful financial planner, and he's the founder of Wealth With Purpose. His ministry is to help equip Christians to honour God with their finances by teaching sound financial skills. Sorts of things we'll talk about today, I mean, what's happened in the world in the past month, including the collapse of three more US banks. What does that mean for us? We'll also talk about God's wisdom on debt, what to do as the end of financial year looms, and whether there are some priorities right now in prayer. Alex Cook, a special welcome back to 2020. Thanks, Neil. Great to be back. Well, Alex, uh, let's start with uh, just uh, the pain that's been inflicted once again this week. Mm. Uh, The Reserve Bank, another 25 basis points rise. Uh, People were anticipating there might have been a bit of a reprieve. Well, you know, hold on, Treasurer. But I know there's been another increase. Uh, How do you feel about that? How do you see things from your position? Yeah, look, um, it's a good thing for savers, bad for borrowers. So, you know, there's a winner, there's a loser, depending on which uh, side of the fence uh, we all sit on here. Um, And, of course, most commentators weren't predicting it. I think uh, only about 10% of economists thought they would Put it up most were expecting it to remain on hold and so in in one sense i actually think it's probably good for their credibility because it shows they're not uh relying on just the, the you know the media opinion and other commentators to you know judge which way they're going to go uh with interest rates uh in saying that the natural issue is that uh you know with a cash rate now at 3.85 percent which i believe is what the 11th rate rise in the last 12 months, um, you know, that's really starting to bite people. And of course, as we've probably discussed before, you know, we're going to a season over the next six months where uh, about 800,000 Australian households are going to have their fixed rate loans mature, as in expire the fixed period, which they took out during COVID. And that means many of these people are going to go from having a home loan of around two and a half percent, probably, and that's probably going to roll over to six and a half percent. So a massive increase for people. And in fact, it's over the average principal and interest loan in Australia has gone up uh, just over 50 percent in the last 12 months. So it's a big, big increase. Rent is obviously similar pain. Uh, but nowhere near as much as what 
uh, people with mortgages have had over the last 12 months. So, yeah, very challenging time. You know what? Official recessions, and uh, as I understand it, uh, there's recessions going on in other nations around the world. Uh, there's some hope that we might actually avoid a national recession here. But that doesn't mean that they're on the street. And when people talk about a street recession, uh, that there's not a lot of people, uh, that there are a lot of people who are actually going to be feeling the pain of that and are feeling the pain of that right now. Is that a, a relevant thing that you, know, you might avoid what you call, think of as a crisis nationally, but the crisis is really real for a lot of families? Oh, absolutely. And it kind of all, once again, it comes down to what sort of segment the population you're in. I think for many older Australians, they're, they're, they're laughing in one sense because, uh, you know, if they've got money in the bank and their home loans paid off, then they're just watching their interest rates increase on their savings, which is a good thing. Um, and of course, the reason the Reserve Bank is doing it is to try and bring the cost of living down, i.e. inflation. So for that segment of the group, they're probably thinking, oh, this is you know starting to be okay. On the other hand, that sort of, if you like, big middle segment of the, the population who have their home loans, uh, it's it's really starting to bite on their cash flow, on their budget. And uh, the Reserve Bank estimated that roughly 15% of households are now negative cash flow. And when I say 15% of households, I mean 15% of households that have a home loan. So that's a large number of people who are now having to make big choices as to what they're going to spend their money on. You know, before they had a bit of, you know, margin and wriggle room, now things are are very tight and they actually have to make very tough decisions. but then I think there's also those who aren't in the market, and I really feel for many young Australians, because many of them are in the situation where rents have gone up, so they their savings capacity is very negatively affected because uh, rents are up. And of course, house prices are still extremely expensive, and their borrowing capacity, say they, they, say they rock up to a bank tomorrow and, and want to take out a loan, their borrowing capacity is down roughly 30% from last year because of all these rate hikes. So uh, it's really more the older segment of the population, those who are uh, paid off their home loans that are doing okay. But for everyone else, it's uh, it's increasingly tough month by month. When you say negative cash flow uh, for a lot of households, uh, you mean there's more going out than coming in. And uh, no doubt that yeah. then puts lots of pressure on to actually take on more debt to keep up appearances rather than make change. We might talk about debt as we go, and there might be listeners uh, who have their own questions, concerns, uh, comments. Uh, You might want to uh, just reflect what might be happening in your own community. Well, I do want to open our talkback lines uh, as early as we can. So uh, 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today insofar as you might have a question around finance and you're looking for some insight, which will be very, very valuable. But let's start with some of those things that are causing the crisis that's happening in families right now. And so far as mortgages and interest rate rises, you've been monitoring along some of the changes, some of the trends over this past month. I mentioned in the introduction there's been another bunch of banks in the US that have collapsed. Uh, We're seeing reports Mm. here of construction companies going under. What are your thoughts here for what's uh, brought about these things and perhaps uh, a focus on what's happened this past month? 
Yeah, well, the two major major triggers of what's going on have been the COVID crisis and the war. And what, what they've what they've done is unleashed inflation that we haven't experienced for pretty much 40 or 50 years. So some of that's been supply chain issues that are causing the prices to go up. And uh, and then some of it is sell. It's equal. Um, and so this combination of events and the massive stimulus that both the government put in with COVID has caused this, you know, flood of money, which has driven everything up. And now they're now having to deal with the aftermath of it. And that is uh, inflation running hot at, you know, seven or eight percent. Now, the good news is it is starting to slow down. So it is it, it does appear both in the US and in Australia that inflation is coming down. So hopefully we're getting very, very close to the end of these interest rate hikes. There may be shocks along the way, but there is certainly, it looks like we're getting closer and closer. So that should hopefully give people a little bit of comfort about it. But this has been triggered by the events of the last two years that's now caused that. And because of higher interest rates, that's now causing all sorts of problems around the world. So you're hearing, for example, in Australia, you've got uh, construction companies going broke. That's because the cost of many of the supplies that building companies use has gone up dramatically. And many of these building companies are on fixed price contracts. And so projects they were working on, which were profitable at the start, are now unprofitable and many companies are folding as a result. But then, of course, in the US, these higher rates uh, have mean that many of the banks there uh, are losing money on their reserves. They have... They basically hold government bonds as reserves and those bonds have lost a lot of money over the last 12 months. And as a result, we're starting to see bank collapses. Now that sounds really bad, but bank collapses is a more, much more common thing than in Australia. Australia, you know, has a lot of these mega banks that are very safe and very regulated. Over in the US, you've got a lot more community banks. It's, it's quite different. Um, and a lot more risk-taking and not the same degree of regulation as what we have here in Australia. So don't be surprised when you do uh, you know, hear about these bank collapses in the US. It's not to say that it's not serious uh, because the big problem in the US is because people are now nervous, people are pulling money out of the smaller banks and putting them in the large banks. So that's putting more pressure on the banking system uh, in terms of liquidity. And as a result, you are going to see more collapses. That's inevitable, what you can see over the next 12 months. But I'd say don't panic. Don't worry about Australia at this point. Australia is still in good shape. Yes, you know, we're going to see, you know, companies go broke. That's just part of recessionary conditions. But at this point in time, the Australian banks are in no uh, no obvious danger at all. Um, so, yeah, so it's, yeah, it is it is challenging times though. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. 1-800-316-316. To join our conversation, Alex Cook, the founder of Wealth With Purpose, our guest. We are talking all things money and the challenges that are upon us right now. Let's take some calls, Alex. Let's first of all hear from Glenn in Bega in New South Wales. Hi, Glenn. Welcome. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, thank you for your show. Um, I just had a comment or question regarding interest rates. Um, my parents, who are now retired in the 70s, 80s and 90s, I think as well, were paying 17 or 18% on their mortgage. 
uh, a 17, 18% interest rate. And I'm just wondering, I find that difficult to relate to when we're talking about 3.85 causing all this damage and drama, and yet they were paying 17 and 18 and they managed it. I, I just, and, and they weren't wealthy uh, at all and only one was working. So I just wondered what your comment was on that. Um, Alex Cook, thoughts for Glenn? Yeah. Well, look, thanks, Glenn, because that's actually a really good point. And the big difference between, say, 1990, when rates were 17 and 18%, and today is the fact that the amount of debt, as in the quantum of debt, is at least four times as high. So to give you an example, we look at what's called the debt to income ratio. And in 1990, for every dollar that was earned in Australia, 50 cents was borrowed. But today, for every dollar that is earned, $2 is borrowed. So in other words, the average Australian household has four times as much debt in percentage terms as what they did. You know, so it's essentially you know 400% increase, if you like, compared to what they had back then. And so as a result, as a nation, we are far more interest rate sensitive than we were back then because the, the level of debt that the typical household had was much lower. And as you rightly point out, many households back then were just single income households. Now they're double income households on a, a huge amount of debt. And hence they find themselves in this very difficult position that they're very, very sensitive to just small moves. Because as you say, you know, you think a 25 basis point move, a quarter of a percent, in normal terms you think, oh, well, it's nothing. But because the level of debt is just so high, um, it is having a massive impact on Australians because we are the second most indebted nation on earth at the household level. Glenn in Bigger, I hope that was a helpful response. A bunch of callers coming, so thank you so much for your call. Let's take another call. Harmony is in Caroline Springs in Victoria. Hi, Harmony. Welcome. Hi, good morning. Um, I wanted to ask Alex if you can, Alex, if you could speak more to... Um, like I've converted a, like a room into an Airbnb for extra money to afford the higher kind of cost of living. Um, what are the implications of that to try to get another income uh, by renting out a room and things like that to affect, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to ask, but yeah, if we had to like try to make another secondary income from that. Alex, your thoughts for Harmony? Uh, well, firstly, good on you. I think it's a great initiative. Um, I mean, obviously, there's a challenge of having potentially, you know, people in your house if you're renting out an extra room. But it's a great idea to bring in extra income stream. And I think in, in these tough times, if you can earn an extra, you know, $200 a week from renting out a room or, or more, then go for it. And a lot of people are adding granny flats onto the back of their house to do exactly that. Um, so that's a very good initiative. Uh, in terms of the issues, the main thing is that you have to make sure uh, that you disclose that income to the, the tax office because that is a form of income stream to you as a family. Um, and the ATO does look at those things very closely. They know because uh, they can see everyone who's, you know, putting their property on the market on Airbnb. And so they know who's getting income and, and not. And so they do track that market. So you just got to make sure you're honest with your taxes and declare that income. But look, Great, great initiative and a great way to earn an extra income stream. And, you know, if you've got a mortgage on your property, help you pay it off quicker. So, yeah, good on you. Harmony, anything else to Thank add? Uh, no, that was it. Thank you very much. Thank you for your call. one 316 316 We're talking with Alex Cook. 
Let's take another call. Joel is in Perth. How are you, Joel? Good. I'm good, thanks. How are you? Well, what are your thoughts? Well, I think we have to be careful about what sort of information professionals relay to the public. I, I feel that there's a massive spiritual shift and it's been happening for generations where people that are behind running the West, the the, the top echelon of people uh, worship pagan gods and therefore it's streaming down into the society and the propaganda that has been pushed through financial professionals, banking professionals is, is, is not right because they don't want to fear uh, the masses. They don't want the people to wake up. Now, if we look through the Bible, it says everywhere that there is a, you know, a rise and a fall of empires and, and people coming to play and people falling away. And, and I think, I don't think, uh, we're, we're in these times and we need to discern what is happening and we need to see what is happening. Joel, you're, you're making a very good point here because uh, that just confirms, doesn't it, the value of a segment that we do with Alex Cook that comes around a biblical, godly view of finances because there are all sorts of other alternatives and distractions and things that lead people off in different directions around our understanding of money. Alex, your thoughts for Joel? Well, look, I, look, I tend to agree with him in the sense that I, I think what we have to understand is we live in a broken world and that very much so there are, you know, there's a spiritual element to this. And one of the things, particularly in the Western world, that's occurred over the last 30, 40 years is this massive uh, move towards a very debt-based society. And as a result, we now are witnessing the enslavement of people. Now, that's very much a spiritual issue because the Bible says the rituals over the poor and the borrower becomes a slave of the lender. And so for years, and Neil, you and I have been talking about debt for years now on, on air and warning people uh, because the day has arrived where the enslavement has begun. And that is very much a spiritual issue because many people, and this is where Christians are at risk, is if you follow the world's ways, which is this idea that you need debt to get ahead um, you and you buy into it, you'll then run the risk, if you're not careful with it, to, you'll become enslaved by it. And, and that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to use money as a weapon against us. Either, you know, you fall in love with it and therefore you prioritise uh, money over God or you, um, you, you know, have very little of it and you're, you're struggling. You can't be generous because you don't have enough money to get by, whereas God wants us to be free. Um, he doesn't actually want us to be rich, but he certainly wants us to be free. He doesn't want us, you know, to be in bondage. So we do need to look at money as a spiritual issue and as a tool for doing good. And so I say to people, you've got to hand your money over to God, ask for God's wisdom uh, so that you can navigate through these spiritual issues that are very much around us. As Joel has pointed out, it is very much a spiritual world and, and there are these influences on us. But we've just got to make sure that we don't buy into the world's lies and instead we align ourselves with God's way of doing things. So it's a very good point, and thanks, Joel, for his, uh, you know, his input. Joel, thank you so much for your call. Let's see if we can squeeze in one more very, very brief uh, time before news. Uh, Richard in Alstonville in New South Wales. Richard, need to be very quick. What are your thoughts? Um, you've kind of half already answered my question, um, but it was about the 
the global debt counters and stuff, um, that governments have the physical global debt counters, so that we live in a debt-based society since we've been in since the 70s. But the question, the main question I had out of that, though, was, is there a situation in time, not, not about governments calling debts to other governments around the world or economies, that the financial system will become too inflated globally that it'll tip over? Richard, uh, we've got about uh, 40 seconds to answer a call, a, a question like that. Alex? It, look, it's a great question. It's sort of complex in one sense because, you know, and also trying to predict the future. Um, the short answer, though, is I think, yes, there is going to be massive problems at some point. Um, and to me, governments are going to handle it in one of two ways. They're either going to have outright default because the debt level, like if you took the US, it owes $31 trillion just in federal government debt. There's no way that can be repaid, and there's no intention of any of the politicians to repay it. Australia's debt's much lower, but there's no intention of our politicians to repay it either. So that debt's only going to grow like a cancer, and at some point, it's either going to be outright defaulted on, which will have all sorts of ramifications in terms of people who own government debt, then, or alternatively, they're going to try and inflate it away. In, in other words, the debt stays roughly the same, but inflation drives the cost of everything up and the debt becomes relatively smaller than the size of the economy. Hey, Alex, before we go any further, uh, to talk about biblical wisdom uh, being most relevant for now, uh, some of those calls before the news were demonstrating why biblical wisdom is so powerful. And I think perhaps it is the case that the penny's dropping for a lot of people that say, well, God actually does have real wisdom for 21st century finance. What are your thoughts here? 100%. Well, I mean, people are you know, realizing that God speaks well and truly into this space. And uh, in fact, uh, this may shock some listeners, is it's the most talked about issue in the Bible. There are 2,350 verses or thereabouts on money, wealth and possessions. Uh, and so the Bible speaks into it both in very um, spiritual ways, like issues around, say, contentment and generosity and idolatry and identity. So it speaks into all those spiritual things. But it also speaks very much into the practical side of it as well. You know, Jesus said, you know, before you build a tower, you've got to count the cost. You know, in other words, you've got to do a budget. You've actually got to work out, do you have enough money? Likewise, the Bible talks about investment, for example. So, you know, Ecclesiastes says, invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight because you don't know what disaster may come upon the land. In other words, what a good financial planner will tell you is you've got to diversify your money. So the amazing thing is that God uh, wants us to be uh, wise, obviously, but he actually tells us how to do it. He actually gives us, through his word, great insight into how to manage money well. And so we've got to deal with the heart side of it, you know, the spiritual issues, and we've got to deal with the practical side of it. Um, so on that, I'd just encourage listeners to read some good Christian books on money uh, that really speak into that space and, and are really uh, very practical. Though. You want the mixture of good sound theology, but also the practical outworking of it so you can learn what the Bible says and you'll, get, you'll avoid a lot of pain and uh, you'll get yourself set up well for the future. Uh, this contrast that comes in here around debt, and uh, as you said, we've had lots of conversations over the years, and uh, some people are very happy with taking on lots of debt, uh, but when the crunch comes, you recognise that you are a slave to the lender. Uh, there's a contrast here, isn't there? And this is one of the significant contrasts, debt on one hand and a godly wisdom around debt 
on the other because if you leave godly wisdom out of the picture, you're being driven by all sorts of marketing forces that encourage you to take on debt. It's almost like debt becomes temptation. Is that a relevant way of talking about it? Oh, look, 100%. I mean, I think uh, we live in a society that tells us that debt is normal, uh, that it's necessary, uh, and that it's largely harmless. And then what, of course, happens is that over time, people realise that uh, it's not harmless. And, of course, yes, it is necessary to the extent, in the sense that, obviously, for those of us who want to buy our own homes, which is most Aussies, uh, the reality is you do need to take on debt at some point. But that's where the wisdom issue needs to kick in because you want to make sure, of course, you don't overdo it. But the the wisdom issue would also suggest that things like, say, credit cards, I think, should largely be avoided. I think the, the human nature in of us uh, may, makes them dangerous to us because, you know, they're, they're a big temptation. Uh, they're very easy to spend money on. And so you can get yourself into trouble very quickly. Likewise, even with car loans, I really discourage those, um, you know, unless there's really good tax efficient reasons to do it. Uh, most people uh, end up just spending more on a car than they otherwise would have. So the, the, the issue with debt is it can e- end up being a, a, a real anchor. You know, for example, a lot of people will say to me, um, they want to change careers. They want to, you know, they feel God is leading them in a new direction, but because of their home loan, their mortgage, they're, they're, they're trapped. They need to keep bringing the money in month after month in order to pay their bills and their rent, or sorry, their mortgage. But therefore, as a result, they can't set up the business that they feel God's wanting them to, or they can't change to the the lower paying job that they feel God is leading them into, or they can't participate in various ministry activities because they're anchored down by debt. And, and that's why it's a wisdom issue. As I say, the, the Bible never paints it as a sinful issue. It's not sin to have debt, but it is an issue of do I take on, uh, how much debt do I take on so that it's manageable, that I've got lots of margin to allow for, you know, higher interest rates and, and so that I've got um, buffers when a rainy day occurs, you know, if I do lose my job or if I do get sick, you know, my life's not going to become, you know, unbearable because of the pressures I've put myself on by taking on too much debt. So it very much is a wisdom issue and, um, you know, we're, we're, daily bombarded with messages about what the kind of car you got to have and the, the kind of big house you got to live in. And of course, housing is just expensive anyway. So it becomes a real issue no matter what. And uh, debt can make us very impatient as well. <laughs> so it makes us want to have things sooner than rather than maybe God had intended. And no doubt so uh, that having faith in God and having a followership uh, where you've got Uh, time with God in your day somewhere, uh, there's a moderating factor as to how you think about those ways forward and whether uh, debt is your option or whether there are other things that will bring you ultimate fulfillment. Hey, we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Jeff in Balaclava in South Australia. Hi, Jeff. Welcome. Hi, Neil. Uh, Hi, Alex. Um, My question uh, to Alex is uh, how... Uh, valuable is is cash, or how valuable would be putting your money into buying gold as okay. a hedge against inflation? We're lucky enough to be completely debt free, or fortunate enough that uh, we we uh, don't carry any debt, and uh, we I guess we will uh, maintain, try to maintain our level standard of living. 
Jeff, way. good thought there. I mean, a lot of That's people right. concerned about question. how you protect yourself against inflation. Uh, your thoughts, Alex? Yeah, look, great question, Jeff. And the way I'll answer it is by saying, I'll give you the pros and cons of each just quickly. So with cash, to me, uh, the beauty of cash is there's no fluctuation in it. It's not like the share market or property market that go up and down. And likewise, gold. Gold can be very volatile as well. Um, cash... Um, obviously also pays you an income. So at the moment, you know, you can put your money in the bank and your term deposits now 4%, which is still not great historically, but it's much better than what it was 12 months ago. Um, but there's a major downside with cash and that is inflation. So at the moment, inflation in Australia is around 7%, cash is at four. So having your money in the bank at the moment, this is for anyone, is really a real rate of return of minus 3%. So to me, cash is a great, place to park your money uh, during tough times. You need to have cash reserves as well, particularly in retirement. And, you know, all of us need cash reserves for a rainy day. But it's not where you want to have the lion's share of your money over the long term because it won't grow and it won't keep pace with inflation over time. So that's the so there's, so there's positives and negatives with cash. Now with gold, the negative with gold is it doesn't pay you an income. So if you're holding gold, it's it's fine in one respect but it's not giving you anything in return. So that's a big downside and it's also volatile. But the, on, the, on the positive side, to me, gold is not so much a hedge against inflation. And if you look at the last sort of, uh, you know, particularly in, in the 90s, gold didn't do well at all. Uh, and, and in the 80s and 90s didn't do all that well. It, since 2000, it has taken off. And obviously what's been interesting in the last couple of weeks is it's more a hedge against instability. So if you look at when the first bank started collapsing uh, in the US in March, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, gold all of a sudden rallied and went over $2,000 an ounce. So in these uncertain times, I personally think gold has a place in portfolios and certainly a lot of fund managers are allocating to it. And interestingly, central banks around the world are all buying gold. Their reasons, I think, are a bit different, and I think their reasons are more related to the war. So, for example, China is selling their bonds and buying gold. Um, you, they're selling US bonds and buying gold, that is. So gold, I think, is likely to do reasonably well in the future. That's just my view. There's no guarantee of that being the case, but it's certainly my view, so I'm pro-gold. But as long as you understand there are downsides, such as lack of income and volatility as well. So Jeff. that's trying to give you the pros and cons. <laughs> Jeff, is that helpful? Space of time. Yeah, yes, it is. And, and I lived through the uh, the era of 24%. I, I remember as a, we were in an investment group, we, we were paid 24% on, uh, on uh, our stocks. Okay. And uh, Jeff, I want to thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to... Ask your own question, uh, air your own concern, uh, give us some insight into whether this is biting in your family or in your community. Hey, one interesting question that's come to light here, Alex. This one is, uh, this is a little bit different. Is there any risk that you have debt that you don't know about? In other words, taking others taking on debt in your name. Uh, what do you do about that? How do you prevent it? Any thoughts here? Yes. Uh, look, it's a big issue. Uh, as we know, in the last couple of months, uh, we've had the big cyber attacks. You had Optus. Uh, we had one of the big healthcare providers uh, in the last few weeks, Latitude, which is uh, 
a very big finance company as well, have all had cyber attacks and have had personal data stolen. So if people get a hold of your personal data uh, through the web, they can potentially go and take out credit in your name. In other words, they can go to a financial institution and use your details and pretend to be you and take out debt in your name. But there is good news, and that is that you can, um, uh, firstly, you can find out about it through those credit reporting agencies like Equifax that will actually give you your credit report and they'll actually send you alerts when people are taking out. Um, but interestingly, a client was pointing out to me earlier today, there's a, a website called creditsavvy.com.au, which is actually owned by the Commonwealth Bank. Now it provides credit reports, but what it does, is it also allows you to put a stop on people accessing your credit reports at all. In other words, it stops anyone, financial institutions accessing it. So in other words, if someone rocks up to a bank and says, hey, I'm you know, Alex Cook, I wanna take out a loan in your name, the bank won't be able to do a credit assessment on you because it won't be able to get access to the report. So it actually blocks them in its entirety. Now, this is a new one that I hadn't heard of before, but it's a really useful way to actually stop anyone from accessing your accessing debt and putting it in your name and you being then caught out through identity fraud. Um, so as I say, the big messages here is get a credit alert service so you're aware of if, you know, people are taking out credit in your name. And second thing is have a look at this uh, credit savvy website, have a look, get, get yourself a free credit report so you know where you stand, but then also look at potentially being able to block people from accessing your credit information in its entirety. So just an interesting one that um, you know, I stumbled upon earlier today, courtesy of a client of mine. Uh, no doubt uh, scammers are taking advantage of what's happening now, uh, even developments in artificial intelligence, uh, the way a criminal element may well be operating there. You've got to be extra careful, Alex, around all things to do with your own finances. If you've got a complicated financial portfolio, it makes it no doubt harder. Is there any wisdom in simplifying things around your finances? Look, I think there is. I always say to people, you want to keep money simple in general. But, you know, in this age of cyber tax, it's only increasing. And with artificial intelligence, you know, all these things are only moving more and more online. You know, they, you know, you often hear in the media, they'll say things like the future of war is going to be online. It's not going to be, you know, through missiles necessarily, although obviously that's still going on anyway. Um, but the point being is I would say people, not just in terms of keeping your finances simple, but just learn some of the basics on how to protect yourself. You know, you'd be crazy not to use things like two-factor authentication and all those kind of things. Uh you know, password tools so that you have different passwords for every website and there's tools that can help you do all of this just to protect yourself because it is a very real problem. And a lot of people, you know, with when it comes to money, a lot of people, it's like insurance, right? People always think it won't happen to me. They think, oh, you know, other people get sick, but it won't happen to me. It's like that with cybercrime. People don't think it'll happen to them. And it's only, you know, when they get a massive shock, when it does happen to them, that they then become alert. So my view is there's lots of simple precautions you can take to make sure you're not that person that gets attacked. <laughs> um, very easy to avoid. Alex, I want to ask you uh, to come back to uh, how we understand the biblical wisdom. There might be some passages that you have some favoritism for. 
but because we were talking about debt and because all of a sudden this is a rude awakening for a lot of people that biblical wisdom actually is really powerful, uh, that debt uh, actually enslaves, uh, but biblical wisdom brings freedom, I wonder if there's particular biblical passages that you might have, uh, that listeners might even jot down some uh, some perhaps some passages, uh, chapter verse, uh, just to come around and say, because once you realize that this biblical wisdom is powerful and does bring freedom, uh, we might be looking for some of those. Uh, where do you start here? Yeah, look, I love this stuff because this is where you really get to unlock, you know, the wisdom of God and see how powerful it is and how it can really transform your own life. So the first passage I'll share is from Deuteronomy 28, verse 12, so Old Testament. And this is a message, um, you know, that was to Israel at the time where it says, the Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You'll lend to many nations, but you will borrow from none. So this is interesting in a number of ways, but the one I like from this, and this is what I often pray to people. When people say, Alex, can you pray for me over my finances? What I what I often pray is that God will bless the work of their hands. You know, if you go right back to Genesis 1, God worked for six days and on the seventh day he rested. In other words, human beings were meant to work and we can ask God to bless the work of our hands. So in other words, rather than us having this mindset of, oh, I need debt in order to get things, Rather than having that, ask God to actually bless the work that you're doing and that he will provide for you through that. So to me, that's a great source of encouragement. Uh, Then if we flip to the New Testament and we look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, it says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And here's the thing. So God is the ultimate provider. There is no recession in heaven. God's not worrying about interest rates. He's not worrying about any of these things. And he has the power to meet all our needs. And and this is the thing. People, um, you know, God is not a a slot machine where you do something, you you tithe 10% all of a sudden, you're going to get this massive multiplication, you know, that kind of cause and effect type theology. But it's what it's saying here is God is able to meet all your needs. He's able to provide for you and look after you. If you want to take that one step further, if you look in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, and this is one of my, I think one of the most encouraging verses on this issue, it says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. So first thing to understand here is God is the God of, God is a God of abundance in other words, a God of more than enough. This is a, this, our God not lacking in anything. And he is able to bless us with an abundance. Now, with that abundance, we're called to use that so that we meet our needs. Yes, our needs. And that there's a surplus from which we can do good work. So as a, as a Christian, I want to pray that God will bless me. And that with that, all my family's needs are met. We can do all the things that we need to do. And that out of that, the amazing provision that God has given us, we're able to do good works. And that is really the point here is that we are blessed to be a blessing. Money is a tool for doing good. 
And so we need to invite God into our finances, surrender it all to him in the first place. It's his at the end of the day and ask him to bless the work of our hands, bless our finances so that we can, as I say, meet the needs of our families. But then that there's a surplus that we can use to, you know, meet ministry needs, to fund God's kingdom, to help those that are, are less fortunate than ourselves and help people that are under a lot of pressure at the moment. Um, so there's a couple of verses to, you know, for people to, to mull over. Um, and just just quickly on these verses, and uh, there will be lots uh, who've written down those, uh, those you know, uh, books, chapter and verse, and uh, you might want to check the podcast a little later on if you missed some of those. But to talk about what might be even uh, mystical, uh, spiritual, spooky sometimes is the word I use. Uh, sometimes people think, oh, that, all that um, spiritual stuff, uh, is this relevant when we're talking about these verses we're talking about here? Uh, does God come with a bolt of lightning out of the blue and make sure there's plenty of money in our bank account? Or is there something in the application of the wisdom of God around finances that causes that stewardship to create the surplus, that you're always going to have enough? What are your thoughts here? Spooky or stewardship? (laughs) Uh, It's a a great question. I think the answer is uh, more the latter. But there is also many instances that I've witnessed with people where God does provide for them in miraculous ways. So I don't think we should ever discount the miraculous in terms of God's supernatural provision for people. But the emphasis should always be that we have, um, you know, we as believers need to take personal responsibility for the finances that God has entrusted us. Uh, And that's what he's doing. It's his money that he is entrusting to you and I um, that we need to be good stewards with. We need to learn um, the, how to handle money practically as well as understand spiritual issues behind it uh, so that we can be good stewards with it and that we can you know, be rewarded in eternity for what we've done with it. You know, At the end of the day, you know, when you read particularly say, the parable of the gold bags, Jesus will one day return or we will pass away and we'll have to give him an account for how we've handled it so the good news is God's actually given us the tools to do that. So he's given us the wisdom of scripture to be able to apply and to um, to manage money well. So I lean towards the latter of what you said. You know, we need to be learn to be good stewards. And that's just a, a process of time and, and reading through God's word. Um, but I would never want to discount um, the spooky, as you called it, <laughs> where God can supernaturally provide uh, for people. Because I've seen lots of amazing stories uh, over the years of just the remarkable ways God can show up and meet people's needs as well. What we're always encouraged by is the fact that God is able to manoeuvre the circumstances of our lives and even that spiritual dimension of money, he can bring that into our purview. He can bring that into the opportunities and the doors that open. He can bring it in supernatural ways. And there's going to be, no doubt, people listening to our conversation now, Alex, who need that sort of you know provision from God in the finances that they have right now and let me just ask you Alex and I I don't always do this when we're having a conversation but I wonder if you'd like to pray for listeners right now and uh, let's keep it a short prayer let's keep it under 60 seconds if we can but would you lead us Alex uh, for listeners and I'm thinking particularly of those who are doing it really tough and wondering where that next dollar's coming from to pay that next bill uh, would you lead us in prayer Absolutely. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are a God that loves us, 
that you are a God of amazing provision. And Lord, we know that many Australians now are doing it tough. We know many listeners are struggling to make ends meet. And Lord, I just pray uh, that you will pour out on them your wisdom, that you will grant them the solutions to their problems. Lord, that you will guide their steps, help them to learn how to steward money well. Lord, I pray that you'll give them relief and I pray for a supernatural uh, provision into their lives, Lord, uh, that they will not have to struggle anymore, but that you will uh, take them on a journey, Lord, of bringing them closer to you through this season, through these challenges, uh, that they might know you better, that they may learn to trust you through these things. Uh, but Lord, that you will help them and their families uh, to uh, to recover and to um, to really, as I say, come into uh, a true understanding of godly stewardship. And Lord, I know that many people are fearful through this. And so I pray for the peace that transcends all understanding. So peace over them through this challenging time. So Lord, we just thank you though that you are a God that does love us, that does want to provide for us and that you'll be with us through this season. And uh, I pray also that you help us to be generous to those who are in need and that we'll be people who are known for our love of others and for the way we help people in tough times. And uh, we thank you and ask uh, for your favour in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Alex Cook, the founder of Wealth with Purpose. And uh, I always like to end our segments by saying to listeners, even though we're ending our live conversation now, you can still connect with Alex Cook. Uh, You can ask him a question. I'll give you an email in just a moment. You can actually send through a question uh, and, uh, and Alex will do his best to respond. But connect with Alex at wealthwithpurpose.com and there are lots of free resources on the website wealthwithpurpose.com free ebooks the my toolkit uh, there's video and podcast content there you can follow Alex on Facebook and on Twitter and uh, that email address uh, is the ask alex email ask alex at wealthwithpurpose.com Alex Cook, always such a breath of fresh air to hear biblical insights into finance. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. My pleasure and a privilege to be with you. Thanks for tuning into the Wealth with Purpose podcast. For more great biblical wisdom and free resources, please visit www.wealthwithpurpose.com.